Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Mark Kleiner. I'm the president of Malvern Panalytical. Uh, Malvern Panalytical is one of the businesses that's part of the Spectrus Group. Spectrus is a UK-listed publicly traded company. Um, Malvern Panalytical, we make analytical instrumentation that is used to basically um, analyze, characterize, Uh, study materials. So using different techniques like x-rays, lasers, uh, light scattering to assess materials that uh, go into the the medicines that cure us, the foods we enjoy, the materials we build with, or energy technologies that power the world. So that's a a bit of a snapshot on, on Malvern Panalytical. I'd like to welcome you to the Inspiring Leadership uh, series and would like to introduce uh, our host, Jonathan Bowman-Parks. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you, Mark. It's great to have you on the series. We've had you, it's been a pleasure, on the CEO's forum as well, where you've shared your your views and experiences, and people have valued that. It was actually Stephen Horder, who originally I knew in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, who came to work for you, and he was very complimentary about you as an inspiring leader, and he recommended you because it's always on word of mouth recommendations, not people volunteering themselves saying, I'm inspiring, have me on your series. I do get those people, but they, funny enough, don't end up on the series. But you did because people find you so. Um, Mark, tell us a little more about, because it, it's quite an interesting organization, the sort of mixture of uh, American, Dutch, British, uh, different people and you know, Malvern and Panalytical coming together. Tell us a little bit about the job in a couple of minutes and then let's go back to childhood and, and find out what shaped the leader you are today leading this organization. Sure. So, so Marlborough Panalytical is actually the combination of two, two primary businesses, what was Marlborough Instruments in the UK and what was uh, uh, Panalytical in the Netherlands, which used to be part of the Philips group. Okay. And then we also have a number of smaller businesses that were acquired over the period of time by each of those businesses that makes up Malvern Panalytical. And uh, back in the early part of 2017, Spectrus took the decision to actually combine or merge uh, Panalytical, which is Philips Analytical, and and, uh, Malvern into a combined business, really looking at how to scale uh, this platform. Because what we do is we, we make instrumentation, we make instruments, they use different sensor technologies to basically analyze, characterize, and study materials. And we look at the chemical composition of materials. We look at the structure of materials. We look at the particle size of materials. And if you look around your office, pretty much anything that is sitting in your office, where it's, whether it's made of metal or plastic or paper, or maybe the medicines that are on your thing. I happen to have an inhaler because I have a bit of asthma. We make an instrument that looks at the particle size that comes out of an inhaler. So pretty much everything when it was in a material form, 
is likely to go through one of our instruments at some point in its life. And it's really aimed at making things stronger. It's look, make, making things more functional, um, you know, so that, so that at the end of the day, if it goes into the foods we enjoy, the medicines that cure us, the materials that we build with, um, that's really what we do. And, and we're an organization, we're a global organization, roughly about 2,300 employees. Uh, primarily located in the Netherlands, the UK, China, Canada, the US. And um, yeah, that's, we, we, we research things, we sell things and, uh, and we market things. Brilliant. Well, a fascinating uh, collection of different things and different people. And therefore it makes it all the more challenging to lead such a group. But the leader you are today, what, who and what shaped you? And if you go right back to childhood, were there a few people and, and what kind of values you were brought up with? Tell us a bit about that, Mark, if you would. Yeah, so my, my, you know, reflecting on who I am today and where it came from, I, I grew up in Reno, Nevada. I was one of four boys, so no, 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 no sisters in my family. And uh, um, we all grew up fairly competitive athletes. And you can imagine with four boys, uh, lots of lots of sports. Well, if I look back on my life in sports, my life in school, my life in work, there, there are three things that shape me as a leader. Okay, three, I, I call it my three-legged stool, leadership, teamwork, and communications, right? And when you have those things in balance, uh, you generally have a winning combination. So if I think of the sports teams I was involved with, we didn't necessarily need to have the best athletes on the field, but if you had good leadership, good teamwork and good communication, we generally won. And I saw that actually happening in school in different project groups and different classes. And I've seen it through my entire career. Mm. So as, as I think back across my life, whether it was as a competitive athlete, a student in school, and then starting through my career, uh, really having a, a healthy balance of leadership, teamwork and communications is sort of the foundation of how I approach things every day. That's fantastic. Now, yeah. So I, I, so I think the other part of, of, you know, and I think we'll talk about this in a bit is I characterize myself as a servant leader mm -hmm. and that is absolutely grounded in my, in my Christian faith. So it's not, it's not, you know, people serving me. It's how I can help people in my business take friction out of our day. How can we make ourselves stronger, faster, better? Because uh, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't make anything. I don't design anything. I don't sell anything. I don't buy anything. So it's really figuring out as a leader, how do I, how do I make the business as efficient and productive and frictionless as possible? And that's, you know, so servant leader to me is really about being present, uh, listening, being approachable and being available. Mm. Uh, that's been something I've absolutely lived my life on uh, for, for over the 32 years of my career. And, and I think it struck me, Mark, as we've chatted over the, uh, the last uh, year or two, just how, uh, how much wisdom and leadership experience you've got. You, you love reading and learning and growing around it. And when I talk to many different CEOs and presidents, I think, I think you stand out there for me as someone we can have this conversation about a whole range of different books we've read and principles we have. And, and what I love about it is you've taken the theory and made it practical and taken the practical and made it 
a story you can tell people. So I just want to recognize that and appreciate it in you. Um, let's go on next to your proudest moments in your career and your life and your darkest moments and what each of those imposters taught you. I'll start, I'll start with the darkest one first and then not the positive because that's kind of generally how my nature uh, sets itself up. But probably the darkest one was uh, I was working for a, a, a firm in, uh, in, in Oregon and I was working for an individual that, uh, in, at least in, 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 my, in my sense, didn't really share the right values. Everything was good as long as with this individual that uh, you agreed with what this person said. Okay, whether the sky was blue, if, if, if this person said it was orange, you had to say it was orange. And uh, there was a period of time in there where, where we fell out and, and I, I should have at the time walked away and gone to do something different. And I, I stuck around for about 14 months and it was probably 14 of the most difficult months of my career. And what it ended up doing is really chipping away at my confidence to the point where I was actually bringing on a lot of self-doubt about my capabilities, my experiences, and my skills. And finally, when I stepped out of that <clears throat> and actually got liberated from that situation, all of a sudden I was like, okay, you know, get that out of me. And, and what that taught me was I never want to be that type of leader to people either in my business or in my life. Okay. So it's really shaped that, that, that moment in my life, which was about, about 20 years ago, I guess now really shaped me as a person, as far as who I want to be and then how I want to engage with people, whether they're more senior to me, peers to me, or, or even below me. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the proudest moment after that dark moment? I would say probably the proudest moment, um, uh, you know, I've, I've been blessed with a lot of successes in my career, but uh, really one of the proudest moments was, is when I came out of university, um, I'm not an engineer or a scientist. And, uh, and when I was going through university, I ended up hurting my shoulder and stopping. It ended my baseball career. But I was so far through my education that to start over in a technical uh, discipline would have been like starting over. And I ended up going to work for GE uh, on their technical sales program. And I was the only non-electrical or mechanical engineer that got into a class of about, I don't know, 150 or 200 that year. So, so having a business background, a business degree, and getting into this group um, of, of all engineers, all type A personalities, great individuals, tons of energy, um, had a much more challenging path through their education than I did, but I got into this. But, but what it made me realize is, is I was always challenged with not being an engineer, right? So what it forced me to do is to, is to always work a bit harder, spend a bit more time, but more importantly, really being a student of what I was doing. So a student, what I call being a student of the business. And uh, that, that right there has really shaped me through my whole career. Everything, I look at everything as a learning moment, but getting into that, that program, not being an engineer really was probably one of the proudest things in my, it was very early in my career. And I use that as the foundation to build on ever since. Right, it, it's uh, stood you in good stead. And then thinking about advice that you 
have taken. And now you've learned so much from your mistakes and your successes. Imagine you traveling back and meeting the 16 year old Mark Fleiner. What, what bit of advice would you give to the young self, which is relevant for younger people listening today, that about what you should do and one thing you should, should have done and one thing you shouldn't have worried about? I think, I think probably the, the one thing for me is, is never put boundaries or limits around what you can do. I mean, I, 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 I by accident or, or whatever, have stumbled through things and, and, and made, made a path through life. But I think at times I was, I was, I had perimeters around, self-imposed perimeters or boundaries around me. Yeah. And looking back on if, if, if I could be 16 again and having that mindset that says, look, if you put enough work into it, if you're a student of it, uh, if you're positive about it, you can, you can approach anything, you can do anything, but you have to put the energy into it. And I think it's one of the things for me is, is that, you know, kind of removing those boundaries, those self-imposed boundaries uh, away from you and just having confidence, not arrogance, but confidence in your ability to learn, to develop, uh, to pick up something. If I could go back and tell myself when I was 16, that's exactly what I would tell myself. Because if you look at the course of my career, you know, it hasn't been a, you know, I didn't plan it out to, to get to this position 32 years ago. But everything that I've done in my career has been sort of a foundation to, to get to this point in my career. But, but there were times in my career that I, I, I had these boundaries around me that they were my boundaries. They weren't given to me, but I, I had them imposed in my own brain. And I think that's the one thing, and I tell my daughters this all the time, always believe you can, you can do whatever you want to do, okay, but approach it with confidence, approach it with preparation, and, uh, and don't, let, don't let people, you know, give you boundaries, okay? That's a, that's a really good bit of advice. And then we're going to go around the Inspire Leadership Compass with its eight principles, which seem to serve people quite well as a model and as a psychometric to, to judge how inspiring people find you as a leader. One of the key things is your true north, which with your faith is very important to you. Um, what, what are your top three foundational values that have served you well in your career as a leader and, and are serving you well in more than panalytical now? It's interesting. We, so we, we, we just about Spectrus and Malvern Panalytical, we went through about a year and so ago, we, we redid our values and we, we went through this, this series of activities to come down to three. And, and the three that we have is actually be true, own it and aim high. And if you break each one of those down, simply be true is all about the, the, the moral compass. Okay, you know, if you're going to do something in the dark, you do it in the light. Or do it in the light, you're going to do it in the dark. What you say privately, you say publicly. You know, it's about it's about helping people out. Um, so so be true is, is is clearly one of mine. Uh, own it is about the accountability and the responsibility. And if you think about things, you know, it's easy to look at something and say that's not my job. I'm not responsible for that. Somebody else is accountable for that. But when we own things, um, whether that it's a it's a it's a really good thing or a really challenging thing, but when you own it, you're going to own it. You're going to take care of it. And I love to see that in people that step up, independent if they created it or not. 
okay, own it and say, let's get this, let's get this advanced, let's get it fixed, let's improve this, whatever it is. And then the last thing around aim high, um, I, I like to stretch. I like to think about things that, uh, that you know, it, it's, 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 it's seeing, the it's seeing the possible from the impossible. Mm -hmm. And from an aim high perspective, it's not just doing it on your own, but bringing your team with you. Because when you aim high as, as an individual, you're an individual. When you bring your whole business with you or your whole team with you, you can achieve so much more. So actually the, the Spectrus values, you know, I probably wouldn't have characterized them five or 10 years ago like this, but, but be true own it and aim high are exactly part of the fabric of who I am today. I live them, I breathe them, they resonate with me. And, and what I'm seeing, even within our business, people are, are able to attach those to themselves uh, day in and day out. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The, the rule of three, I remember a general I had when I was in the army, he had a little credit cards. Maybe you could do this, that slip in people's wallets with the three values on it. And so you go, where's your card? And, and people, soldiers would have to get out their card. And, and he goes, don't look at the card, but what are the three values? And then, you know, they'd go, you know, uh, be true, sir, own it, uh, aim high. Good, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I think it's really good that you have to be the chief reminding officer as the president to keep reminding people what the values are again and oh, again and again. We, we historically, we, we actually used to have five. And, and it was a struggle to remember the five. They weren't, they weren't relatable and they weren't, they weren't personable. So what happened was, is you, you would have to get the card out and look at them. Well, once you do that, you, you, they, they really don't mean anything to you. You're just a parrot of what they are. So from a, a, a be true, own it, aim high. Yeah, it, it, I don't even have to think about them. They, yeah, I love it. I love it. My, yeah. and, and I think, I think of a number of other CEOs that I work with and know that they they made it too complicated. They only like about 12. And, and you, you have to get a sheet out to look at 12. You have to get a sheet out to look at five. Right. But everybody can cope with the rule of three. A stool has, you know, th three-legged stool. You can cope with that. Uh, moving on from the true north, the moral compass, on to PQ, uh, what gives your life meaning and purpose. So, Mark, why do you do what you do? Yeah, for me, I, I like to... So I'm, I'm a very engaging person, okay? But I, I, I like to see people develop. I like to see people succeed. And I like to see people win. Um, really, I mean, what, what I do is all about the, the people in my life, whether it's from a <clears throat> work perspective, a friend's perspective, or a family perspective. It's, it's seeing people happy. It's seeing people challenged. It's seeing people be successful. It's seeing people develop. So whatever I can do to pour myself into people, whether it's a, a professional situation, a, a personal situation or a family situation, I just, I, you know, I, I love to energize people and be around people. Mm. And uh, I, I, I always start with a position of I'm super positive. Even when things are going horribly wrong, you know what? Things have gone horribly wrong many times but we've always come out of the horribly wrong situations in a good place. Now, if you go into a horribly wrong situation and you're yelling and you're screaming and you're coming unglued, all the people around you want to just disappear. Mm. They want to stop talking. They've stopped thinking because you're yelling. So my, my whole, my whole existence is around seeing people develop, succeed 
and create an environment that actually fosters that. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and it creates a, a psychologically safe environment and a healthy environment, which takes me on to the next one, which is health quotient HQ, mental and physical health and well-being. Uh, we're now in an endemic. It'll be going on for all our lifetimes from what I've uh, learned about from the scientists I know and trust. What are you doing to pace yourself and helping your own people to keep physically and mentally healthy? If there was a couple of tips for the physical side and a couple of tips for the mental side, what would you give to other people? Yeah, I think, I think physical side is easy for me. As I said earlier, I'm a, I grew up a super competitive athlete. And uh, so keeping my body in shape is really important to me. So I've got, I'm going to do a plug for Peloton. I've got my Peloton bike downstairs. I turn myself inside out on that thing five days a week. I'm, I'm nearly addicted to it. But, but what I do with that is I, I socialize my exercise. So I talk about, hey, I rode my bike, went for a walk, I did this. So it's communicating that, you know, physical health is really important and, and kind of living that and demonstrating that. To, to people around me. So that's, that's how I do the, the, the physical side. The mental side, Jonathan, as you've gotten to know me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I start with a positive disposition all the time. But at the same time, I'm, I'm grounded in reality. So I'm always saying to people, look, if, 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 if you're not feeling right or you need some help, speak to people. You know, it goes back to this, uh, the um, you know, diversity, equality, inclusion, belonging thing. You know, if, if you're if you're mentally not there right now, talk about it. You have to create a space that people feel like they can do that without any judgment, without any uh, uh, retribution, without any you know consequence. And and for me, um, you know, I'll be in. A, I've, I've been in discussions with people where I can tell something's not right, and I'll just I'll stop whatever the flow of something is, and then I'll ask the person, Hey, are you okay? You know, and, and say, really, are you okay? And, and, and do it in a extremely genuine way, but create an environment that, and, and, and I talk about that as well. I, I socialize that as well as, look, my work family is my work family. Okay. So it's like, we've, we've had a, a few colleagues that have gotten uh, ill from COVID and, um, you know, the ones that I know about, I'll get their home address and pen them out a, a handwritten card and stick it in the mail to their house. Okay. Cause at the end of the day, they're my family. And, and I, again, this is about recognizing that people go through different phases in their, in their days, weeks, months, you know, I, I call it chapters in your life. And sometimes you get a really exciting, fun chapter. And sometimes you have a really challenging, ugly chapter and that, you know, we, we all go through it. I've been through it. I'm sure you've been through it. But recognizing that, you know, we, we, we can help each other. And I think it goes back to those values about to be true and own it. Um, you know, if you see something going on, help, help each other out. We, I, I like to say, I've got your back. It's like, yeah, I always say, my, my wife, my wife has my back all the time. And we've got a great, you know, 30, almost a 31 year marriage. She always has my back. It's yeah. never, it's never in doubt. Now, it is very interesting you've used both metaphors of, of, of uh, family for, for a work environment and a team, because being a competitive uh, with, with the days before you got your injury, your baseball player. Um, and some CEOs have found that when they always use the family analogy, it's very hard 
in your family, you always have a smelly uncle who, who uh, no one wants to talk to and, and different cousins. You can never get rid of them. They're always family. But in a team, a high-performing team, you're on the bench, you're on the team, you might get fired from it. And, and actually a team analogy some find is more useful when you have to make restructure and changes because it's very hard to let go of family. So how have you managed to balance the sort of family feel and the team analogy? When have you found both applicable and when is there a clash? Well, I think, I think again, in, in both a personal family as well as a work family environment, you have to be comfortable having comfortable conversations or uncomfortable conversations. So, so if, you, if you see somebody who's not performing well, okay, or, or is a, uh, I'll just use the direct word, like a, a cancer in the company, um, you, know, you have to be, have the courage to actually address that head on. And I think a lot of it comes down to how you do it. So I use this thing called, I, tact, timing, the approach is all about communication. Tact, timing, and approach. And, but you have to be willing to have that awkward conversation with people. You might actually uncover something that, that they're struggling with, which is creating their personal situation at that point in time. And then sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, you get a transition family out. Um, and it's usually when you have that conversation, you, you know, people realize that it makes sense for both parties. But again, it goes back to, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in feedback, but it goes back to that communication thing. You don't, and you don't communicate that through an email or a text you and you don't communicate it through your HR person. You communicate it through yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? You, you, you've got to have the courage as a leader to have those conversations, those awkward, uncomfortable conversations with people. And yeah. I actually, actually, I feel very comfortable doing that. And I think it's part of, my, my EQ, but it's also part of my ability just to, to talk about those pink elephants in the room. Yeah, and, and that leads us nicely onto EQ, which is the next topic, the next uh, element of the Inspired Leadership Compass that uh, I, I've experienced this with you. I found you a high level of emotional and social intelligence. And, and if you were to pass on a tip to people about developing that, the ability to build rapport, listening, really read people. Like, you know, as you said, how are you? No, really, how are you? What tip would you pass on? Because people can develop the language of EQ. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, I, and, and you've heard me describe myself like this, I'm, I'm high EQ, average IQ, okay? And some people always laugh when I say that, but but, when I tell people that I do it for a specific reason that I'm, I'm listening to your story. Okay. I'm, and I'm, I, I, I will let people talk. Um, not necessarily forever, but, but you have to listen past word three or five or seven to get the context. And I see leaders from time to time, just cut people off because they are the smartest person in the room and they might not actually get to the point of the really important point to the message from the person. So that, that EQ to me is about being present, being available, but listening and doing more listening than you do talking. Yeah. All right. And I think, I think the other part of it too is, especially for, for myself, I've had the opportunity to, to work and travel all over the world. So I am, I'm hypersensitive to if I'm in China or if I'm in the Netherlands or if I'm in Italy 
or if I'm in Canada, okay, recognizing that their, their mother tongues might not be English. There are cultural differences. There are stylistic differences. And, and don't go in as, in my case, the American and just be American. Be aware of the situation you're in. Okay, be aware of the nuances you're in and try to adapt to them. Okay, and I, and I, I will intentionally, if I'm in Asia and I've worked in Asia 20 years of my career, I'll actually slow down my, the speed of my, my, my speech to make sure that what I'm saying is landing. And so many times I'll see people from different countries go in and speak at normal pace. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that most of it is not landing with the person that's trying, yeah, it's just going, it's just, just like if somebody tried to speak, uh, you know, uh, Dutch to me at pace, I wouldn't get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it's about, it's about being very situationally aware of what you are, the culture you're in and, uh, and having a bit of humility. Okay. To humility. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Bible verses is Luke 14, 11. You know, he who humbles himself will be beholden. And he who beholds himself will be humbled. Mm. And, and that humility from an EQ perspective is so powerful. Yeah. So powerful. I, and, and you've touched on the next topic, which was CQ. And uh, you and I were talking about that before this, that it is the basis of diversity, equality and inclusion is to be culturally uh, aware of, of different people and different backgrounds. Um, You've really answered that question so beautifully. So I won't I won't go on anymore. But it, it, you've you've really highlighted something that's very important. And then, Jonathan, let me let me just on, on the on the CQ side, because this, this is a very relevant topic today, right? It's it's with all the stuff that's happened in the U.S. and around the world. It was interesting with my two daughters. They went through a, a school for the performing arts, which is a small school in the big high school. And over the course of six years, you can imagine the students and the kids that were in this class, it's kind of a mixed bag of characters, the school for the performing arts. So different races, different uh, religions, different colors, different orientations, different, different, right? And I, I guarantee you, I had some unconscious biases before that, okay? And one of the things I learned from my daughters is open your mind up to people around you. And uh, all of a sudden I saw these students who were gifted, talented, smart. They were just like, just like me. And I think from a diversity, equality, inclusion, belonging, it's really helped shape me as far as a leader and thinking about, you know, I don't see color, I don't see race, but I just see a person. I see a person with experience. I see a person with potential. And my daughters have absolutely they, they, they probably don't know how much influence they had in, 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 from a cultural awareness perspective. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if you haven't learned from that in, in having what uh, others call reverse mentoring, where they have young 20-year-olds uh, who uh, paired off against their executive board members, and they come to some of the meetings, and afterwards they give their opinions and views on how their generation would view the conversations they were having. And they get mentored by their executive boss, but they also mentor their boss in return hmm. about how they see things. And I, I just try, I, I just encourage you to try that. Many people have found it very useful. So from cultural intelligence quotient, CQ, to RQ, resilience quotient, coping with adversity and setbacks. 
you know, as well as your successes, I'm sure you, like me, have had many uh, di disappointments and setbacks, but hopefully you've learned something from them. Was it that person who said, I've learned so much from all my mistakes. I think I'm going to go out and make a few more. <laughs> but uh, what, what, if, what would be your tip on resilience and coping with adversity? We've had more than a share of that in the last 18 months, and I'm sure we'll have many more experiences of uh, the need for adversity going forward. Yeah, I think I think adversity, you know, for me, it, it, it you can have adversity in good times and bad times. Like right now, you know, a year ago we had we had problems and they were really challenging problems as COVID was raining down on us. Today we've got problems, but they're good problems. You know, we've got we've got strong orders, uh, which puts a lot of pressure on our business from a from a supply chain perspective. You know, we're looking at adding people. Uh, we're looking at expanding our business, but that puts a lot of stress on the business as well. So my, my, my tip on this is, you know, over the course of life, you will go through adversity, both good and, and challenging adversity. But, but always recognize you'll, you'll, you'll work your way out of it at the end of the day. And, and, and Jonathan, and I'll, I'll touch on this a few times, I'm sure, but I think a lot of that is, is based in my faith. You know, I use this thing that uh, I strongly believe every day is a test and you have to trust that you will get through it. Okay. And, and my trust is in my faith. And, and, uh, but I believe every day is a test. All right. And, you know, so far for 32 years of my career, you know, I've seen some really challenging situations and you know what, looking back on them, actually they weren't that bad at the time. They felt really heavy. Okay. But I think you build off that experience Okay, and I think that experience and it's whether it's direct experience you've had or learning from other people's experiences. And I think that's one of the things from a leadership perspective people can really build on is don't be afraid to learn from somebody else's experience. You don't necessarily have to do it yourself. Beautiful. You remind me of two stories. One was uh, when I went to Fort Leavenworth in, in uh, Kansas City, Kansas. Um, I was given a, a, a general who'd been in Vietnam as my mentor. I was the chief of staff of a brigade of very talented officers. Uh, actually, they're all more talented than me. We're all at staff college. And so it was quite competitive. And I really had never been a chief of staff of an army brigade before. But we were simulating, uh, funny enough, an Iran-Iraq kind of scenario. Um, th this was like about 30, 40 years ago. Um, but this American general said to me, Jonathan, he said, let me tell you where the anti-personnel mines are buried. He said, because you haven't got time to go out and blow your foot off on all the ones I've blown my foot off on. But he said, overnight, the little bastards have gone out and they planted a whole lot more. I don't know where those ones are, but I can tell you which ones not to step on. And I think that's, that's great wisdom. And uh, there was a lovely poster I saw once, which said, life, <laughs> just like you've been saying, life is a test. If it wasn't a test, You'd be told exactly what to do, where to go, and, and everything to do every day. So life is a test. Get over it. And I, and I, I really resonate with what you just said. BQ is the, um, the penultimate one. Brand, uh, presence, uh, impact, and image. And you've been a great believer in learning from mentors and learning from coaches. You always had them, and you believe your own people should have them. What do you find by way of learning about your brand and what people say about you when you're not in the room from your mentors and coaches? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think for me, my, my brand, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. Not, not one that just rolls off my tongue, but for me, my brand is I, I want, I want people to feel like they can approach me. 
okay, and be available. And, and whether it's a, a good message or a challenging message. And uh, I think it goes back to my servant leadership style is, is you know, my, my brand is I want to be one of those individuals that uh, wherever you are in the organization, wherever you are, in my, my friend group or my, my family network, you know, I want to be approachable. Uh, whether you're having a good day or a challenging day that people can approach me. Mm. And so if I, if I, if I thought about what was on my, uh, my uh, tombstone would be, he's approachable. Okay. And he's always available. <laughs> That's okay. And then uh, legacy LQ is the final one around the compass. Um, it's about stewardship, about leaving things better than you found it in your business. Uh, about making a difference to your wife and, and your daughters um, and your friends and your family. But what would you hope your legacy will be in Malvern Panlytical as the president? How would you like to leave things different from how you found them? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, le legacy to me is super important. I think it's, uh, there's, a, there's a big picture to legacy and there's a, there's a day to day element of legacy. We, we all every day have an opportunity to leave legacies small and large and the small ones every day or if you, if you pass somebody in the hallway and, and as a leader and your head is down and you're you walk right past somebody without saying hello that that person's probably thinking man what a what a jerk okay um, where it's really easy just to give a quick nod or a quick hello you can touch people in such simple ways every day and I, I see leaders do that with people where, where they want to be the leader in the room. I'm the boss in the room. And in, in that case, you, my view is you, you're leaving a negative legacy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want that. I, I think the big picture at the end of the day, we, you know, the, the merger of our businesses is, is anytime you merge businesses, it, it takes time. And, and we're at a point right now as a business where I, we, we have, I don't know, 2,300 really talented, gifted colleagues around the globe that do amazing things. And what I, my legacy within Malvern Panalytical, I want us to wake up every day and believe that we're doing good things in a very confident way, not an arrogant way, but a confident way. And sort of breathe that, that attitude and that confidence into the business and get us to the point where, where we, you know, again, whether it's a good, good day or a challenging day, that's, that's the culture I want to leave at the end of the day. Yeah, that's great. And so we're on to the last three questions. Uh, we talk about executive teams, uh, your favorite book on leadership, and uh, your finally your, your two-minute top tip. But um, executive teams, you, you know, you've spent your time in them. You've been building them, creating them. You've now got uh, your own as, as president. Um, how have you turned around a toxic team into a high-performing team? What bit of advice would you give? If you know an individual was toxic or the, the, the culture had just gone a bit wrong, how have you turned it around? Yeah, I think I think the first thing for me is is getting what I call the pink elephants that are that are in the room that nobody wants to talk about. <clears throat> Everybody knows they're there, but nobody wants to talk about them. And and getting those out on the table, discuss them, and and, and shoot them and get them out of the room because they they create a, a, a boatload of tension and distraction. And if those, those pink elephants are created by an individual, okay, and they've left the room, the pink elephant has, but the individual continues to refresh that pink elephant, 
you know, it, it's probably time for that individual to, to either make a change or transition out of the room. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that goes back to that directness of communication, having those awkward conversations. Cause what I've seen leadership teams leave that dysfunctional element in the room and guess where all the attention is on that dysfunctional element. And, and it, it's not to say that my leadership team, we're not all marks. Matter of fact, we're far from it. We, we have a very diverse team of professionals, executive leaders who are talented and gifted, uh, very diverse. Okay. But it's leveraging each other's style. But the one thing we have in common is the chemistry. Okay. The chemistry in good situations, challenging situations, but the chemistry on how we work together is really important to me. And I think if I had to coach anybody on this, on teams, it's making sure that you've got the right chemistry and you can have different styles and different characters, but that chemistry on how people relate to each other, understand each other's strengths and weaknesses, and then leveraging. I like to play to people's strengths. I know I've got plenty of gaps, but I've got really talented people around me that fill my gaps. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, before we do the tip, your um, a recent book on leadership that you've found uh, up to date and fresh and interesting and has some good advice. Which one you, you read a lot. So which one of the many would you recommend, Mark? This one is going to come completely out of left field because it's not, it, it is not your typical leadership book, but it's a book called uh, Can't Hurt Me. Oh, yes. I've by David Goggins. Yeah, yeah. David Goggins. David Goggins is, I believe he's the only individual that went through both SEAL training and the Green Berets, if I've got my, my memory right. Yeah, yeah, I have. And he and, did, he uh, did, he did um, the, the, what was it, the, the week that they, uh, they get beasted. I think he did it three times. It took him three times. Hell week, hell week, hell week. He did three times. Yeah. And, and what I found in that book is, is you, you watched an individual transform through their life and, and go from a point of, I would almost say arrogance to one of recognizing that, that you have to actually build the foundation yourself. Okay. And, and it was interesting at the very end of the book, he, he realizes one his body's breaking down on him. And the thing that he hasn't done for years and years, he's physically a, an animal, right? But he has to start stretching. He has to, he has to exercise his body. He has to stay in shape. And it's not just being, he's mentally strong and physically strong, but he had to change the way he did things. And I think he also started realizing, and this is probably the most important thing, is he has gifts to give back to people. Okay, don't keep all that stuff contained in yourself. When you're a leader and you've got gifts, share them, share those experiences, share that knowledge, share that wisdom. And uh, I, I, I read the book and I listened to the book on an audio book. And, um, and he, he actually, in the audio book, he narrated parts between the chapters. So was, you, you heard directly from David Goggins, it was you know, his perspective on what was happening at that point of his life. He, he didn't grow up in a great childhood. Okay, and how he got to where he is today. Just really a, a, a motivational book. Yeah, and I, I'm like you, I, I read it, uh, which is difficult for me as a dyslexic, but I listened to it twice. And I thought, oh, wow. And, and it's interesting, in another book, um, I'm just listening to on the sort of science of training and development, which is really saying that all my years of endurance running and triathlons and uh, double mountain marathons 
is not good for you in the long term. It, it creates uh, inflammation uh, and a lot of a lot of injuries and problems later on. But the big thing to do is hit training. Hit is really so good for you in so many ways. And you don't need to do that much of it. Perhaps three times a week for about thirty minutes. But we often put in massive amounts of time training, doing yeah. cardio and aerobic when actually hit is uh, what the science is saying we should be doing. But that's a whole story in itself. And we could chat for ages on the mark. But let's go into your final two minute top tip. And if you'd be good enough just to introduce yourself uh, as you did at the very beginning. So people hearing this clip uh, would know about you and then your practical uh, two minute top tip, please. Yeah. Again, uh, I'm Mark Fleiner. I'm the president of Malvern Panalytical. And uh, I've had the opportunity today to, uh, to join Jonathan Bowen Parks for the Inspiring Leadership Series. I guess if, you know, top tip, um, I think for me as a leader, uh, it starts with having a level of humility and being humble because the people around you see an individual that uh, really cares for their people. Okay, that's not to say that you don't have to be challenging and you don't have to be demanding, but you do it in a way that motivates and inspires people and not beats them down. And for me as a leader, and, and again, going back to uh, growing up as a super competitive athlete, um, going through my education and my career, I think the approach of being, you know, you, you don't have to have the biggest voice in the room. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you have to be present in the room. And uh, what I find with, uh, with leaders today is when they're present, when they're available, when they're focused on things, their people around them see them as a true leader, okay? And for me, that's something that has served me well for my entire career. And I'm probably at a point today, looking back, that it's starting to crystallize because I've always been this way, but I'm starting to get a sense of you know, who I am as a leader but also starting to share that with people directly as, you know, people ask me, you know, how do you do what you do? You're not the typical yelling, screaming, you know, command and control leader. I do it in subtle different ways, but I do it in a way that inspires and motivates people and brings people with me. Great. So that's probably my tip of the day, Jonathan. Great tip, Mark, as always. And thank you very much for being on the series. It's a real honor having you here and sharing your wisdom with 180,000 people in 55 countries, they'll value it. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it, Jonathan, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I hope you have a great day. Thank you very much. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you gonna do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.